we come up with all these different iterations and variations of tools and templates and techniques. And the truth is we don't need all of that. And we're making it more complicated. We're actually reducing the value to the client and making our life more difficult by having it there. So the solution for a lot of things is simply to drop it. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Rianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. Jill, it's a good thing that we have a really good podcast episode editing team to be putting on this all together because if people were to hear the stuff that goes on before we officially hit record on the episode, they might not <laughs> want to listen anymore. Oh, you mean all the questions of who's starting? Exactly, right? Like we literally just spend, I don't know, two, three minutes talking about who's going to start off the episode and how are you going to lead us in? So maybe we should just skip ahead to the part where we actually start the episode. What do you think? I think so. This is a, a pretty high value episode anyway. So there's lots of content packed in. So we might as well just skip ahead. Did you like drop a pun intentionally saying that this is a high value episode? Possibly. I mean, last time we talked about all the places where your delivery model isn't scalable, right? So we took you, oh dear listener, through this this exercise of what is all the value in your delivery? Is it valuable to the client? Is it valuable to the business? And we promised you at the end of that episode that we were going to tell you what to do with it. But I'm really curious, Jill, because you work with our clients a lot as they're going through this process, where do people end up after they've done this analysis of their delivery? What's what's <laughs> probably coming up for our listeners right now? Right now, for a lot of people, they're often like chomping at the bit to start implementing the changes that they saw because they've been having to hold themselves mm-hmm. back from making changes. For others, a lot of times there is this idea or this feeling of, oh my goodness, now what? What do I do with yeah, this monster? It's like, exactly. It's like, I thought I was doing a lot, but now that I've written it all down in one place, I realize just how big of a behemoth this thing has become. Speaking of behemoth, I do know that we have to go and start watching more episodes of The Expanse, by the way. If anyone's an Expanse fan, you can give us a shout out on social media because I've been trying to get Jill to read the books for a very long time and she made it partway through book three and then she quit on me. So I need some help. I need, see, I need some help for the people who are hashtag team Brienne to get Jill more on board with reading further into The Expanse because it's just about to get good. I'm sorry it got boring. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So folks might be feeling excited. They might be uh, chomping at the bit, as you said, about trying to figure out ways to fix this. They might feel overwhelmed by all the stuff that's going on. So what do you say we take people out of their misery and actually talk about how you use the information from the color coding you did last time to scale up your delivery and create what we call infinitely scalable delivery. But before we do that, we need to actually talk about a really important concept, right? Yeah, we need to talk about the high value part of the episode, (laughs) which is so punny, Jill, that I'm going to let you tell everyone what the high value hybrid is and why it matters. So the high value hybrid is this idea that most business owners, most entrepreneurs, when they start out developing and creating one-to-one businesses, where it's them 
one-to-one with a client as they develop and figure out what it is that they're trying to sell and the offer that they're trying to create. And then over time, they want to, guess what, build that up and scale it up, make more money, bring on more clients, all of those kinds of things. And so the traditional methodologies that the online business world has said are scalable is when you go either one or the other direction here. And that's one of them is one to many, which is this is like our course creators, membership sites, group programs, all of these leveraged things that the online yeah. business world says all the way through to like passive income courses, but not even that far, right? It's like yeah. anywhere where it's one of you and many of them. Exactly. And so like they're using things like automations and systems to be able to get as many people in the door and working with them individually, them as the individual entrepreneur as possible. And this is great for profit, but you start to have a cap on the amount of result or the the kind of result that you can give because there are so many of them in front of just the single one of you. And so that's the trade-off, right? Yeah, we see this a lot with coaches, right? Who they don't want to go and create a mega course. They don't want to go and enroll thousands of people because they know that if they do that, the results for each individual client will go down. So yeah, super profitable because I can get on a group coaching call and have a hundred people on a single call. Amazing for me and my use of time, highly leveraged, but really not that great for the individual client. That's not to say that there's not a place for that role in the business, in the business world, sometimes there's a place for these courses where there's not as much high touch and personal attention. But for some coaches, they want to make sure that they can keep the high touch as they scale. And so you can't go too far, which then takes them into the other of the two options that is commonly taught. That's the agency route that most service providers are used to. Yeah, exactly. That's the many to one, right? Where you have an agency or a team where that team is focusing on the one individual client. So like take web design, for example, right? You've got web designer, you've got graphics, you've got copywriter, you've got the web developer, any number of project manager, various things working with just one client. And this is great from a results perspective. You get superb results going this way. But from a profitability standpoint, it's a lot harder to be scalable because you're paying for all of these people. And let's be honest, trying to scale that up and scale the team up can be a little bit interesting. Because everyone started their business to become a full-time manager, right? Like the thing you really want is to be running around (laughs) and coordinating all these people and telling them what to do. And that's what agencies often end up being for people. Mm -hmm. You have to build out this big team so that you can get the really custom high-end results for each individual client. But as you said, Jill, great for the client, not very good for, for profit. And I think that's what's so interesting and and for me, frustrating about the way that scaling is talked about online, which is that you have two choices. You can go one to many or you can go many to one. And the thing that no one ever talks about is that magical fourth combination, which is what does many to many look like? And at the end of the day, many to many is the high value hybrid. Yeah, exactly. And that's where you take the good things from all of those aspects, the many to one, the one to many, even the one to one, and you bring them together, you hybridize them into one offer so that you end up bringing in the highest value in terms of results, but also at the same time, the highest value to the business in terms of profit. And so, I mean, I I know people are maybe getting this at a high level, at a conceptual level. They understand that there's a difference between courses and agencies and that if somehow you could magically mush the two together, you would get an amazing output. But 
I, what I want to do is really let's go into the details of this and look at how do you actually implement this and execute this in your business. And I want to actually spend quite a bit of time digging into that today in this episode by focusing first on the delivery side of the equation. How do we actually make the things profitable and allow ourselves to be scalable without killing the results so that in the next episode, we get to talk about one of the coolest parts about the high value hybrid, which is cohorting, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's talk about how we actually get our delivery set up for this high value hybrid through a couple of different steps that we call dropping it and the three dials. I almost find dropping it one of my favorites. Don't get me wrong. I love the three dials, but so many things come up when we do that value to the client, value to the business conversation that I look at and I go, oh, but that can just be dropped. And it feels so good. So let's talk about how we know if we can just drop something. And by drop something, we mean you just simply remove it from your value map altogether. Like it doesn't need to be there. You just take it out. The clearest sign is if you did the color coding that we talked about last time and you have something that's red to the business, AKA not very valuable to the business and something that's red to the client, AKA not very valuable to the client, you just get rid of it because if it's not valuable, why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I'm being a little flip with that, but I think it's really normal when people go through this process of looking at all the moving pieces that they realize just how much they've built up over time that they hadn't realized. And and I'm thinking of one of our clients, Katie, who had this experience. Yeah, exactly. She went through and like her particular business, she had built up a coaching business over time and she had built up so many different resources and so many different opportunities for her clients to be able to reflect back, to look into and do work for on themselves. And like her program had this balloon of resources. She showed it to me once and it was like a list of about 30 or 40 different things on it that they could access to help them along their path. And in the end, when we went through and it's like, does this actually get them to where they need to go? Like, is this something that if they didn't have it, they wouldn't be able to complete their program. They wouldn't be able to make the weight loss changes that they wanted to make. And the answer was no, they they didn't need this and it's okay. So we're just putting one more obstacle in front of them. So why not take it out? Yeah, you use the word obstacles here. And this is something that we really commonly talk about with our clients, which is if you think about the the journey that you're taking your clients on, you know, they start wherever they're starting, they're going to end wherever they're going to end. And it's like, you know, running a race in the Olympics, the world record for the 100 meter dash, the 100 meter men's race in the Olympics is somewhere I think is around eight seconds or so. As a Canadian who once cheered on Donovan Bailey in the Olympics, I feel like I should be more up on what the current world record is, but it's not held by a Canadian anymore, so maybe that's my excuse. Anyway, contrast that with the 110-meter hurdles. Men's world record is about 12 seconds. Now, what's the difference? Why is one 8 seconds and one is 12 seconds? The difference, actually, is the hurdles themselves, right? The hurdles are slowing people down from getting to the finish line. The same kind of thing happens in the case of many of our clients and the one you were speaking of in particular, Jill, 
where she had put so much stuff into the program, what she didn't realize is she wasn't adding value to the clients by doing so. Instead, she was putting up hurdles that were slowing people down on their way to getting the result. And so the drop it part of the process is really about streamlining and optimizing that journey so that there are as few obstacles as possible between where the client is and how you get them to where they want to go. Yeah, exactly. And like the key thing here too is is quite often I hear from clients, they come in and they have so many different results. They have so many different things that are going on. They've got different situations. That's why I've got all of these things as options. And the question I always come back to is actually, if you look at it, what's the framework that you're working with? What is the underlying structure, the skeleton that they actually need to rely on? Do having those additional little pieces make a difference? If you can't justify that it should be there and here's exactly why, Mm -hmm. it's probably a good argument to be for taking it out. Some people don't really have a lot to remove because it's been very streamlined and they've done a lot of this optimization over time. That's especially true on the service provider side. But coaches, I got to tell you, you're near and dear to my heart. You come up with a new version of a tool every week. Guilty. I was was just looking at you going, I wonder who that is. Yeah, not talking about myself here at all, but we come up with all these different iterations and variations of tools and templates and techniques. And the truth is we don't need all of that and we're making it more complicated. We're actually reducing the value to the client and making our life more difficult by having it there. So the solution for a lot of things is simply to drop it. Okay, Jill, so now I've dropped the stuff that I can drop easily. I've gotten rid of the basics. How do I now take whatever is remaining and get it to a point where the delivery is scalable, balancing the value to the client and the value to the business. Yeah, and so this is where we actually start talking about how to do things differently. And this is where those three dials come in. I want you actually, when you're envisioning this, if you're one of the people that can actually envision things in your brain, unlike Brianne, who is, what is the the phrase? Aphantasia, where you do not have a mind's eye and you cannot visualize because your brain is not wired that way. Yes, there's your $10 word for the episode. If you don't have aphantasia, even if you do, you probably will still be able to do this. Think of it <laughs> actually as a dial. It's This is not a light switch of off and on. This is a spectrum where you can be at any point between the two ends, okay, for these three dials. And so the first one is where we talk about leverage versus bespoke. Custom is what a lot of people think about, right? So the dials, the extremes of the dials, if you had it turned all the way toward one side, you might have something that is completely templatized, completely cookie cutter, exactly the same for everyone. It's pre-recorded, pre-prepared, pre-produced. It's exactly the same for everyone. And on the flip side of that dial, you have an experience which is completely custom. It's bespoke. It's specific to that client. There's nothing about it that's similar to what happens for any other client. And obviously, there's a big spectrum between them. But conceptually, this is the first dial that you can play with as you're going to make your delivery more scalable. And we'll talk about how to actually do that in a second. Before we get there, though, Jill, what's the second dial that you can play with? And so this one I always have fun with because this is like This one and the next one actually are my two favorite dials, I have to say. And this is the group versus one-on-one. It's how you're interacting with the clients, how you're engaging with them on a regular basis, on a day-to-day basis. And again, 
this isn't a, it's all one-on-one or it's all group. This is everything in between. You can have one-on-one components and group components and many-to-many mm-hmm. components, even at the same time, depending on how and what works best for your clients and for the result and the delivery that you're trying to go for. Yeah, and we'll give you an example, a couple of examples of how that can look in practice in a second. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the third dial first, which is done for you versus do it yourself. I think, especially in the service world, we're very used to, you know, oh, you can have it a DIY program where people will go through and they'll learn to write their own copy or whatever. And then there's the done for you extreme, which is, you know, we're just going to take it all and it's going to be very boutique and we're going to do it for you. And somewhere in the middle, is this mythical done with you area, which could be maybe done for you, maybe DIY, but it's a good example of how there's a whole spectrum of possibilities. Yeah, exactly. I often in my brain almost envision DWI done with you a little trail, side trail off the spectrum, off the dial for a second, because it's, it is hybridized, but at the same time, it's this component, this idea of being done with you versus being one-to-one done for you. And so these are the three dials, right? You can do bespoke versus leverage. You can do group versus one-on-one. You can do done for you versus DIY. And the key when it comes to your high value hybrid and you're figuring out how am I going to do it differently is to look at your color coding that we did last time because one extreme of each of those dials is very valuable to the business. It's very profitable, but not as valuable to the clients. So doing something which is done in a group, it's DIY and it's fully templatized, very profitable, very good for the business, but maybe not as good for helping your clients get results. So in that case, you might need to look at that step and say, hey, my color coding is telling me this is really good for the business, not so good for clients. We need to shift some of these dials in order to make it more valuable to the client. And Jill, you've got a good example here of one of our clients that did this. Yeah, Autumn. She actually ended up adding in one-on-one calls because she realized that by not having it, she was having a lot more back and forth. She and her team actually both were having a lot more back and forth with the clients later on in the process. Not only did adding on the one-on-one save time later on, but it was also more valuable to the client with that face-to-face interaction. It felt more engaging and like they were being treated as a person. And then it was also more valuable to the business as well. So this is a situation where maybe it had been like an intake form or some documentation. There was a template that had to be filled in and go back and forth, which is very leveraged. It's very templatized, systematized, those kind of things. And the result of that was it wasn't as valuable to the client as it could have been. So you switch away from the leverage, creating more one-on-one and you increase the value. Yeah, exactly. And then other times you might actually realize that it's actually your extreme is on the really high value to the client side. You're doing the one-to-one, you're doing the done for you, you're doing the bespoke, right? That's Those are the three that's extremely valuable to the client. And so to improve that, you would then look at the dials and leverage them or turn them slightly such that there's a little bit more of that balance between the bespoke and the high value to the client and then the profitability to the business. And we've got a really great example of that from one of our 
other clients, one in particular, she's service, but there's another one that's also a coaching one as well. Yeah, we've got two examples here that I think are really instructive. So I think we're really used to thinking about this in the coaching context of instead of doing a lot of teaching on coaching calls, which takes up a lot of time and therefore is not as profitable for you and the business. What if you created training videos? What if you took the training out of the live calls and instead you put it into a training library? Clients watch the calls, they do whatever they need to, then they come to the coaching call and you can actually focus on coaching. So that's Mm -hmm. something that Allison, for example, had to really spend a lot of time doing was figuring out that balance of how do I create this experience where it can be more profitable and, you know, really move the dial in terms of this would be great for the clients, but maybe I could even make it better if I focused on increasing the value to the business. Yeah, I remember actually talking with her about this and there was one phrase that she said that totally was like a flag for me that this should be done differently. And it was that she said to me, almost every call, she's saying pretty much the same thing over and over again. And it was like, okay, so there is something that we can work on to do it differently. Exactly. And that's what Kelly said as well. So Kelly's got the service-based business. And when she would onboard a client, she realized that her onboarding calls were 99% the same. She would get through the call. And she said at one point she had two back-to-back onboarding calls, one after the other. And she said, I could have just had myself recorded from the first one and put myself on repeat for the second one. Mm -hmm. And for Kelly, it wasn't so much that she wanted to just pre-record things. She didn't want to go and switch the leverage dial. Instead, she wanted to switch away from doing it all one-on-one. And so she ended up actually bringing her onboarding calls into a group onboarding session. So a number of clients would be starting at the same time. She would bring them together. She would onboard them. People would be able to ask questions of each other. It ended up actually being more valuable to the business because it was less one-on-one time, but actually more valuable to the clients too, because sometimes they'd get answers to questions that they didn't even know they should be asking. Yeah, exactly. Now, the important thing to note here is that this isn't one dial fits all. You need to mix. It's not one dial for your whole process, (laughs) right? You don't go and say, okay, I've got my whole business is service. Now I'm going to go and create a course, right? I have to say that because many people try to do that. So please continue, Jill. It's not about coming up with just the one solution for the entire process, right? You're going to find different things at different stages. Going back to that theme idea that we had for the value map, even within the themes, you're going to find yourself utilizing different dials at different points to get your offer scalable and balanced. This is why in the value map, you have to go and break things down to such a significant degree. You have to go and say, what happens on this call? What happens during this week? What happens during this step of the process? And break it down because when you do the assessment and you say, hey, this is green for the client, but red for the business, you know that what you need to do is shift one or more dials toward being more valuable to the business. And vice versa, if your color coding on an individual line says, hey, we need to move the direction more in favor of the client, then you know it's not about changing your whole process at a high level. It's about going in and choosing a solution for that specific piece. And I think the best example here might be what we've done in our academy program. You know, one of the things that comes to my mind, Jill, that's different in our program as compared to others is that we don't have group calls every week. Many coaching programs, you have a call every single week. But what we learned when we looked at our value map and we did the value to client and value to business, we realized that in some cases, it would be better for clients not to do things in a group, but instead to do them one-on-one. And so we simply got rid 
of some of the workshops so that they have time to do the one-on-one work by themselves. There's other things that we've done too in terms of adjusting these dials. Yeah, exactly. So like one-on-one coaching calls are something that we also offer as part of the academy experience. But we don't pre-schedule them in. We don't say when these are going to be. Instead, we allow the client to schedule them as they need them or where they think they're going to need it the most. And again, this is that custom versus leverage, right? They get that opportunity to customize the support for where they're going to need it the most. And a lot of times we can make suggestions on where the best times might be. For me, often I do the onboarding calls with our clients. And so I've got a really good understanding of where their challenges are. And so I can make suggestions based on that. And it'll be different between two clients as to where they, I mm-hmm. think they might need more support. And then the other example that I can think of is, should it be group or one-on-one, right? Why we don't have workshops all the time. We talked about not every client needs this coaching calls at the same time. So that's custom versus leveraged. And then on the DIY versus done for you side of things, we give feedback on all of our clients' assignments, right? So they go through and they actually DIY an initial draft. They go through, they do all of their work, they come up with their own ideas, they go through the exercises that we've been talking about here. And then what happens is that once they've done that part themselves, then they share it with us so that we can collaborate with them and give them feedback, tell them what we see, give them ideas. We're doing that part of the revision almost for them. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I actually want to note on the DIY versus done for you, DIY versus DFY. And so many people, when they look at this style, they think that the DIY is actually of lesser value to the client. That is absolutely Mm -hmm. incorrect because Mm -hmm. very often having the client actually do the work for themselves is way more valuable than you doing it for them. It encourages them to buy in on the process. They actually get to see the transformation that is happening and they get to learn and internalize things. And that makes it so that they can then go back and do the same thing again and not be left wondering, how am I supposed to get out of this now? Yeah, that's a really good point, because especially if you want your clients to be able to take what they do with you and run with it and not become codependent on you, there's part of a transition that needs to happen. Now, we can talk all day long, and and maybe we will at some future point, about the way to build in retention models and be able to have clients coming back to you and buying from you over and over. You can do that without creating codependence. Exactly. But that's, that's kind of a bigger topic for another day. So why don't, instead of going down that road, rabbit hole, why don't we just summarize what we've talked about so far, which is that when it comes to creating scalable delivery and using that value map that you've built, the really important thing is to find the unique blend of delivery methods that are going to work for your business. So how are you going to look at each stage of your value map and say, this one needs to be made more valuable to the client's this one needs to be more valuable to the business. And then you can adjust those three dials accordingly. Yeah, exactly. And if you do that correctly, you find that just that perfect balance. And it's actually a lot easier than you might think. We've actually found that for most clients, they can two to three times their client capacity without needing to hire. Let me just say that again, Mm -hmm. without needing to hire, right? Yeah. And it, It comes back to really figuring out, we talked about exploiting the bottlenecks last time. How do you set up your delivery structure so that the work can flow through? If the work is flowing through without getting bottlenecked, yeah, you can take twice as many clients, three times as many clients, and then eventually you get to a point where you do need to hire. 
And that's where the second part of the high value hybrid equation comes into play. Exactly. Plus, we also haven't talked about cohorting, which is one of the most fascinating and powerful concepts and one of the fastest wins that you can have for your business. I love doing cohorting. Yeah. So next episode, we're going to take you into part two of setting up your high value hybrid. We're going to take all of the stuff that you've done to drop it and do it differently. Then we're going to add our third D, which is to distribute the work across your team. And as Jill said, we'll drop in a little bit about cohorting for you too. But for now, we just want to say thanks again so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Visionary CEO Podcast. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovinazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started.